been my earnest prayer that after these days, immediately passing the tragedy in New York City and in Washington, that it will not be just a simple fasting fancy, a fancy with us, that we will not soon forget that our hope is in God. Our hope is not in military might. Our hope is not in the strength financially of this country. Our hope is in God. I cannot help but wonder perhaps if the Lord is not sending us a direct message with the attack on the World Trade Center, which is the heartbeat of all the economic system of our world and of our country. If the Lord is not saying to us, these idols will not stand. But I trust that somehow every one of us in our heartfelt sympathy and our grief for the many thousands of people who have lost their lives in this attack. Certainly we do not want to lose fact of that. But I think we need to go deeper in consideration of what may be behind all of the tragedy, not only in New York City and Washington that we have experienced, but even so around the world with the attacks on American embassies and so forth, and also the natural tragedies that have occurred in America. It's my question of mind, what will it take? What will it really take to awaken us? Not to some shallow kind of turn to God, but a permanent, a deep, a lasting turn to Him. It's my prayer that somehow the people in our country will realize that our hope is in God. I'm grateful that He is the God of all comfort. And certainly our prayers go to those who grieve today, the many thousands of families, missing loved ones and so forth. Our prayers go to them and we feel in our hearts what they feel. And we need to constantly keep them in our prayer daily. I want to thank God for uh, the prospect of great unity that we've experienced in our country. A unity, I think, that we have not felt in this land in many, many days. And I do thank God for that. My prayer has been for the President of our United States, a professed born-again Christian, and for those in Congress who have rallied behind him. We need to pray as never before, but also we must not forget the fact of the days and perhaps the years that are before us. We need to keep before the Lord in our prayers the many men in the military who perhaps will face not only tragedy but death on the part of many of our soldiers who may have to be committed to ground combat. We need to remember these in prayer. So let's keep them ever, ever before our blessed Lord. Certainly God is our refuge. He is our strong bulwark. He is the one to whom we flee. It's been a blessing to me to see so many of our national leaders turn to God, 
strange though as it seems that when we have ruled out from governmental headquarters God and prayer and the Bible in our public schools it's amazing and what almost mysterious that in these times even our governmental leaders even in our schools in our county and other counties they have had a time for prayer may God help us that we'll come back to the place from whence this country was born and wherein its foundation lies to faith in our wonderful Lord. I'm going to ask you to turn again to the first chapter of the book of Isaiah. I want to share with you four messages that come from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1 of his prophecy. The first section of Isaiah through chapter 39 deals with condemnation. The latter part of the book of Isaiah deals with consolation. Our Lord does not only condemn men because of their sin, but he offers them consolation, mercy, pity, grace, and forgiveness. And that's the God whom we serve. And yet there is condemnation that comes as a result of sin. Over and over again, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, Amos, Obadiah, and the others, warn the people of God, if they should turn from him, that the Lord God of holiness and purity has no other alternative than to permit disaster, and judgment. It amazes me when I hear news commentators and so forth in the public eye uh, give uh, terrible comments concerning men who with love and who with compassion have tried to remind our nation that we have gotten away from God in this country. You have heard me in this pulpit preach to you over and over again if we forsake God, if we leave Him out of our lives, we can expect nothing but permitted judgment, if not direct judgment. I do not believe America is exempt from that. Israel, a chosen nation of God, elect of God, and yet when they turned away from God and refused to keep His commandments, Indeed, God pronounced judgment upon them, even from heathen foreign nations that had no regard for God, had no regard for the Word of God. The Lord has many ways of judging His people. You and I know as, as well as we know anything that we cannot do wrong and get by. Forty-three million babies have been murdered in this country since Roe versus Wade. Pornography has been permitted all along and all across our land. Divorce is rampant in our country. The fact of violence prevails. We cannot expect a God who is a God of holiness and purity to ignore our sins in this country, folks. We can't expect that. He is not that kind of God. 
He is a God of mercy, a God of pity, a God of compassion, a God of love. But because of His holiness, God cannot overlook our sin. I speak not only concerning a nation, but I speak concerning individuals. I speak of families. I speak of homes. I speak of churches. We cannot forget God and expect to go on receiving His benefit and His blessing. It is utterly impossible. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 1, the first message of Isaiah to the people of Judah. By the way, though this, though this is primarily directed to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, yet there are principles involved that indeed I believe, I believe apply to all of us. The first message at verse 1 through verse 9, the first thing Isaiah does is what we call he invokes heaven and earth to hear. Notice that he says at verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The Lord calls upon heaven and earth, entities that have no ability to respond. They have no will of their own. The heavens operate under direct obedience. God set those planets in their orbs and they operate according to His will. The earth itself does likewise. But all the tragedy when we look at human beings, you and me, I have nourished like a mother nourishes a child and brought up children. But look at their response. They have rebelled against me. What a tragedy. America has been blessed above all the nations of this world. We are the richest nation on earth. We are the greatest military power on earth. We have the greatest freedom. We are, we are a bastion of freedom. It's all because our forefathers, sought to found this nation on the foundation of God's truth. If there had been no Bible, if there had been no commands, we would not have the laws that we have in this land, nor the Bill of Rights that we have. God is the author of freedom, of liberty, and He has blessed this land so abundantly. We have escaped the blade of the sword for many, many a decade. But folks, I ask you this. Do you really suppose that we can escape the sword forever in our rebellion, in our hostility toward God, our, our, ignorance, our ignorance, our rebellion against Him? I'm here to tell you as I've told you Sunday after Sunday, we cannot do wrong and get by. Whatever we sow to the flesh, we will reap. The very wages of sin is death. And so we need to realize 
that even though people may scorn men such as, and I do not agree with Jerry Falwell and all of his philosophy. I do not agree with Pat Robertson and his philosophy nor his theology. Yet I thank God that these two men had enough gumption to speak out and to call for repentance on our part. Billy Graham at the National Cathedral. I do not agree with Billy Graham in his philosophy and his ecumenism. But I do thank God that once he mentioned repentance, this nation, and though we had a day of prayer and remembrance, I recall that in the days of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln called for not a day of prayer and remembrance, but he called for a day of national repentance. I haven't heard much about repentance in these days. Somehow we believe that we can go on like we have always gone and done, and we can beseech a God in heaven irrespective the fact whether or not we have sinned or no. But I tell you, God is a holy God. And if we would have his blessing, there must be repentance. Well, you say our nation needs to repent. What do we mean by nation? Who makes up a nation? I do. You do. Every individual. We ought to search our hearts for, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen the last of what we have just witnessed. We haven't seen the last. And we need to become aware that our hope, our help, is in God. Isaiah talks here and calls what I call an invocation, that heaven and earth would listen, would give ear. And he says uh, with a terrible word of, of judicial indictment, you know what an indictment is? When a person is indicted for a certain crime and the Lord indicts Israel here, first of all, with rebellion. How much in accord are you and am I with the commands of God? Do we just simply look at them as something that's written down? Or do we realize that we have rebelled against Him? The first commandment said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as thyself. I know we, realize, we think we're good people and we always think of God, but what other gods do you have before you? I passed by the golf course this morning on my way to church. I couldn't help but grieve in my heart when I saw men on this Lord's Day, out swinging at a golf ball. They ought to be in the house of God, seeking God, confessing our sin. But can you expect an unregenerate world to do that? No. But God's people. You know, the Bible says that if my people, you and I are saved, you and I are claimed to know the Lord, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and get this and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Then will I hear from heaven and will heal, will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. I believe with all of my heart the healing of this land will come when we have repented, when we have turned from our wicked ways. Oh, if you and I could only see this land of ours through the eyes of a holy God. If you and I were in his place, I fear that destruction would have already come. I'm so glad he is a merciful God. We forget him, we ignore him, but in times of crisis we call upon him. Thank God that he is merciful. And I read in the Psalms that Israel, when they called upon God in their trouble, God delivered them. I fear that we're so much like those in the book of Judges. We're delivered for a while. And then we go right back to our old way. The Lord has to bring in someone else, some other matter to bring us back to him. The indictment was one of rebellion. But notice in chapter 1 also that the indictment against them was one of ignorance. Verse number 3, the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Like dumb animals. Yet, we are unlike them. Though the ox knows his master and the donkey knows where the feed crib is, Israel, the Lord said, doesn't know. I wonder, do we know? He indicted them again with indifference. He said, all sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward. Do you realize that God can be provoked to anger? We've heard so much from the liberal element theologically of God's love for all mankind. I want to tell you folks, listen to me. Jesus Christ, the compassionate, loving Savior said that the person who has not believed on Him, the wrath of God abides on Him. Not the love of God, but the wrath of God. Today, if you've rejected Jesus Christ, you are in a precarious position in your life. God's wrath. And the only reason that wrath has not consumed or has not fallen is because God is a God of mercy. Only by reason of His mercy are we prevented being consumed by His wrath. The Bible said that God is angry with the wicked every day. It is only His mercy that withholds his anger and his wrath upon those of us who are guilty of the blood and the death and the, and the inhumanity and the terrible, terrible treatment that our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, actually experienced on this earth. Do you believe that God's even let us get by this far? After trampling under our feet, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's mercy. That's the answer. The Lord not only 
indicts these through Isaiah of indifference, but he indicts them of ingratitude. He says, such as the ox and ass would not have even shown their master. The ox shows gratitude. He shows gratitude. The little donkey that goes back and eats at the, at the feed trough. And yet how ungrateful we are. How unthoughtful we are. How we dismiss from our mind that we are in a land that we're in because of the mercy of God. I know that from this land comes the greatest support of missionaries of any country in the world. But ladies and gentlemen, I must tell you with all truth, don't bank on that and say, well, because we've sent money to the mission field, God will spare us. That's not true. Thank God that we give. And oh, how I thank God for our precious church and you are people who make this place possible. It's because of you. It's because you give that we have so many missionaries around the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ even at this hour. And they do it in your stead, in your place. How grateful we ought to be for that. But don't ever think that because we go through religious service and Christian service that God is going to, to spare us. Notice, if you will, verse 6, from the sole of the feet even under the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In other words, these are estranged from God. Israel. They cut themselves off from God. Ineffective is God's stroke of judgment upon them. He says at verse number 5, Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. Folks, listen to you preacher this morning. never caused people to repent of their sins. In the book of Revelation, chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, Revelation 16, verse 9, 10, and also verse, uh, verse number 11, the Bible talks about the great judgment that God pours out upon a world in the tribulation. And here's the awful remark, yet they neither repented of their wickedness in spite of all experience. Folks, it's only a, of God's grace that we're given repentance. And I tell you, repentance is given. It's not acquired. God gives it. It's an act of His grace. that we're brought to the place where we're able to repent of our sin. 
There are many people in our world, oh, they're aware of tragedy and heartache and heartbreak, but only by God's grace will be made will we be made to see our sin that we need to repent of. We sit here in a comfortable church and among good and precious and clean and decent people. But I fear that we have thought of ourselves as no that, that there is no need for any kind of repentance. We're good enough within ourselves. We need to repent of nothing. We come and go, but there is no consciousness of wrong, of sin, before a holy God. Jeremiah or Isaiah gives a second message at verse 10 through verse 17. He charges in this second message that formality without spirituality is an abomination to God. We go through a form, but there's no spirit. A lot of us sing our hymns when we come to church, supposedly worshiping God, and we're worried about the beans left on the stove, the cat we didn't let out. We have not our thoughts upon God, folks. And so Isaiah charges these folks with this formality without spirituality. Remember David after he had sinned so grievously? For a year, David went on and on with all of the ritual and the ceremony of the temple, never admitting until the prophet Nathan said, David, you're guilty. You're the man. And oftentimes, we fail because we haven't been, we haven't been confronted with our sin. The servant of the Lord Isaiah compares Jerusalem and Judah to Sodom and Gomorrah, though they continue in their ritualistic service. Sodom and Gomorrah brings to mind the perversion in our country, the condoning of it by Hollywood in many areas of governmental powers. There has been a condoning of sexual perversion. Now you may think this is an inopportune moment for me to mention this, that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sexual perversion. And folks, we need to be aware of that. It is an awful sin in the eyes of God. It's not just an outward physical sin. It's a sin of the heart. It's a moral corruption, which only God can deal with in judgment unless men repent and turn. And I'm glad to tell you if there is that terrible slavery of perversion in your life that God is able to deliver you, give you victory in your life. Don't be guilty of inciting his wrath. Here in verse 10 through 17, Isaiah exhorts the people to return to it that sacrifice must be, must be underlined with faith and obedience. The mere going through of ceremony is nonsense. In fact, to use the words of the Scripture, it's an abomination to God. 
And we can come to this place if we're unwilling to really get our hearts right with God and our hearts in tune with God. God's saying, hey, even your so-called worship is an abomination to me. Away with your new moons and your appointed feast, he says to them. They are an abomination to me. They are a stench in my nostrils. Do away with them, he said. And then there is a third message. I must hasten. In verse 18 down to verse 23, God offers mercy and grace. He appeals to people to reason. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they're awful, they're ugly, they're unmentionable. Yet he said, though they be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. In other words, the Lord gives an assurance of cleansing. In this passage, he also gives what I might consider a reference to what the Lord said through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy 28, when he gave in Deuteronomy 28 the blessings and the cursings. He said, if you will do this, I will bless you, but if you rebel, my curse rests upon you. I know when we think of curse, we think of some jungle tribe in South America, but that's not it. It's the word judgment, curse. God will bring judgment upon us if we rebel against him. The Lord says in Deuteronomy 30 as well, I set before you life and death. Choose life, he said, instead of death. A sad description of the moral degradation of what is called Zion in verse 21 and 23 in which Jerusalem, notice this in verse 21, 2 and 3, Jerusalem is called a harlot and her wickedness is described as abominable. I mean, it's tough when God says that his own people, you're harlots, you're spiritually unfaithful. You've gone after other gods. I think I could ask anyone in this audience, what do you think the God of America has been for the last decades I think I can hear you say money that's our God isn't it amazing again the strike has been against money not only in this country but in the world you're going to have to find a greater source of strength than money Wall Street world trade our strength must be in God. The fourth message is in verse 24 through verse 31. God here avenges himself of his enemies, and even at the same time, he purifies his people. You know, to the real child of God, just this very initial stage of judgment ought to be a means of our purifying our lives. Yes, I think our country ought to avenge a blatant, merciless attack upon it. I believe we have that right. But you know, I couldn't help but be somewhat 
not amused at what's happened, but amused at the change of attitude on the part of our government relative to striking back at those who have so unmercifully attacked us. I couldn't help but be amused when I remembered Israel, the condemnation that were the world governments have given Israel for their retaliation of attacks upon them. And yet here we are thinking of the same thing. I believe indeed that we ought to defend our country and my prayers for the President of our United States, our Congress, our leaders. And I pray that God will give us direction as to what we should do in wisdom. You've been told by the political leaders of our nation that the days of head are going days ahead are going to call for sacrifice. You might as well get ready for that. And yet I believe that the will of our people is willing to endure sacrifice if necessary. I admire President Bush, but I question the statement that he made when he talks about ridding the world of evil. I don't think that's possible. We'll never be able to rid the world of evil. But I tell you one who will. <laughs> King Jesus is coming, folks. And we are heading so quickly to that moment when our Lord will return and set up his rule on this earth. I do not know the outcome of what's just happened, but I see so many things shaping up that's telling us that the Lord is getting this world ready for not only His coming, but an, uh, immediately the coming of one who will pose as the world's leader of peace, known as the Antichrist. But then our Lord will come and put down all rule against him and set up his rule upon this earth. It's coming, folks. And we're moving swiftly toward that point when our Lord will come. My question to you this morning is this. Are you ready for his coming? Are you ready for what lies ahead? Are you ready for eternity? Folks, listen, it's time to quit playing. It's time to quit delaying. If you know what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about, if there are sins of life, you ought to confess it. Get your heart right with God. We're going to need people in the coming days who know how to pray and who know how to get through to Almighty God. May God help us. May God bless this country of ours that I love so dearly and would give my life for. And oh, thank God for the Savior whom I would willingly give of myself for. And two, and I trust if you don't know him, today's the day you ought to trust him. Invite him into your heart. Let him be your Savior. He died for you. He took your sins his own body of a tree. He died the death you ought to die. If you're a child of God, profess to know him, and you've been unfaithful to the Lord, man, it's time. 
you say, Lord, here's my all. I want to be faithful to you. I'll be faithful to your church, faithful to your word, faithful to your testimony. God, help us. It's my prayer. Let's bow our heads together.